We are entering a season now as a church and really in partnership with churches all over the world uh, to prepare for um, two major events, uh, really the, the foundational events of our faith, the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And we're going to gather on, on Good Friday here, and we're going to acknowledge the crucifixion of Jesus and spend some time um, just uh, meditating on that. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to gather and have a party, okay? So if you haven't been here recently for Easter Sunday, it is a bring-your-own confetti popper situation, and we invite you to do that, and we're going to have a big celebration here. But the path to get there... And this is just true in life, isn't it? That the path to victory often involves a cost, almost always, right? The path to victory over sin and death is a path of suffering. And I know we like to come to church and have happy, you know, songs and happy thoughts and, and, and try to leave smiling, but man, we cannot ignore the cost of our salvation. We can't ignore the, the suffering that Jesus endured because we endure suffering too. And we can't just pretend like it doesn't happen. So we're going to spend a few weeks just talking about the difficult seasons of life. We're going to call them desert seasons and how God can enter into and meet us in those desert seasons to transform us, to refresh us, to restore us, to shape us, and to bring us hope for new creation. So as we do that, we're, we're going to be talking about some different uh, people in Scripture that I think we can relate to. And, and your desert seasons, I mean, it looks different for everybody, but we're going to talk about people who experienced isolation, disconnection from people that they loved and cared about. You ever had that? We're, we're going to talk about people who uh, just got stuck, felt like they could not move forward no matter how hard they tried. You ever experienced that? We're going to talk about people who just felt insignificant and inadequate, like they just didn't have the talent, skill, authority, power to accomplish anything in life. You ever felt like that? We're going to talk about people who drifted and just felt purposeless, like they just didn't have real meaning, a real reason to wake up in the morning and feel positive about what was coming. You ever felt that? It's good to know that there are people in Scripture, God's people, uh, who can relate to all of these different desert seasons that we experience. And so the, we're going to start today by talking about Moses um, and just understand Moses' desert season. What we want to learn to do is embrace these seasons as, as a reality of life. So we're not going to deny that they exist. We're not going to just try to avoid them. We're going to embrace that this is a reality of life, but we're going to enter into them with a hope that God will meet us there and do something good, right? So let's, let's start with Moses. I just want to read one key verse from our passage, and then we'll come back to uh, his story in a minute. This is from Exodus 2.15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. A well is where you go when you're thirsty, right? What are you, what are you thirsty for? I think we can think about that in a lot of different ways. There, and there's some really serious and kind of sort of uh, metaphysical ways. We can talk about thirst, philosophical ways. Um, but sometimes I just want help. Sometimes I just need some really practical help. 
Uh, Brett mentioned earlier, when you're selling your house, you, you recognize that your house has a lot of problems and you have to fix them if you want to sell your house. So when we sold our house last summer, um, we realized there were a lot of electrical issues in our home that were gonna have to be uh, taken care of. Uh, just light switches that didn't work or things that flickered, or we had this really cool thing in our kitchen where if you touched the microwave and the dishwasher at the same time, it would shock you. And so uh, we had some fun with that. We would bring people over. We'd have little shock parties around the... Um, and so I just knew we got to fix these things and I'm not an electrician, so, but I'm also kind of cheap. And so I was looking for the cheapest way to fix the problems. Um, and so desperate for some help, thirsty for some expertise, I called my brother who is a master electrician, um, incredibly knowledgeable and skilled. And I would say, AJ, here's what's going on. You got to help me out. And he would say, okay, open this panel. Tell me what you see. Take a picture of this. Show me that. And then he knows my skill level. And so he would give me some steps to take. So he would say, all right, here's a cheap, possible, easy fix. You know, replace the, you know, light switch, right? Um, here's a, a little more complicated thing that um, will probably get you electrocuted, but you can try it if you want to. And then the third step is you just need to call a professional. And I was like, I thought that's what I was doing. But he's like, no, you mean that you need somebody to come to your house and fix this for you. And it was just so, it's just so good to have an expert like that in your life. I mean, if you, do you have those kind of people where, you know, if I, if I just get desperate for help, I know exactly who to call for this problem, right? And I think when we get thirsty in, in our lives in ways that we're just not finding something that satisfies, we need somebody who, who's an expert on these desert seasons, who's an expert on thirst and refreshment, and that's God. God knows exactly what we're going through. And he's an expert on how to be refreshed in the desert. This is what God does. He provides a well for the thirsty. That's what God does. So let's look at Moses's story and see how God provides a well for the thirsty in Moses's story. And then we'll bring that around to our own stories. Uh, we're going to read here in just a minute from Exodus chapter 2, but I want to give you a little background, a little reminder about who Moses is. So Moses was born, uh, as a, he's a descendant of Abraham, so he's an Israelite, um, part of the Hebrew people. Uh, he's born at a time when the Hebrews have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So things are not going great for the people of God. And things are actually really bad. The, the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time is concerned that the Hebrews, uh, are, their population is growing too fast and that if they wanted to revolt against them, they might not be able to, you know, Egyptians might not be able to stop them. So he uh, makes a law that, that the Hebrews are not allowed to have any more baby boys. And so if the baby boy is born, he is to be executed. Well, Moses' parents don't want their son to be executed, obviously. And so they, they put him in a basket in the river and he is discovered by an Egyptian princess. This Egyptian princess, uh, through some uh, really clever uh, work by Moses's older sister, ends up hiring Moses's mom to raise him for the first few years of his life. And then he's raised as an Egyptian. So Moses grows up in two different worlds. He's a Hebrew, he knows that, he's been raised for the first few years by his mom, and then he's raised in the Egyptian world. And growing up with those two different realities is gonna end up in conflict at some point, and this is what we find as we pick up in Exodus chapter two, verse 11. So follow along on the screen. If you see something underlined, please read that aloud. 
One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So we see this conflict. I mean, it's, it's, it's right there on the surface. I mean, Moses feels this connection with his, his people, his, his family's people, the Hebrews, and he sees them being persecuted and oppressed, and he, he wants justice for them. His motives are good. And he sees an Egyptian beating, or this phrase could actually mean that this Hebrew is being killed by the Egyptian. And Moses wants justice, so he steps in to make justice happen and commits murder in the process. And then as he's trying to negotiate some peace between Hebrews, two guys that are fighting each other, they say, no, thank you. We don't need your help. Who do you think you are? We get a little more insight into uh, this part of the story from a sermon that was preached in the New Testament by Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen was a deacon in the church. He's preaching to the Sanhedrin. Uh, these are people who are experts in the Old Testament, and Stephen is giving them an Old Testament lesson. How do you think that's going to go? It does not go well for Stephen. But he tells about Moses in his uh, message to the, the experts in the Old Testament. So I want to read this from Acts chapter 7. This is part of his, his message. He says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. But they did not. Maybe an understatement there. Moses was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to bring peace. He was trying to serve people. He was trying to promote justice. But what happens is he's, he's rejected by his own people who basically say, who do you think you are? You don't have authority over us. You don't have the right to rule us. You don't have the right to tell us what to do. And then he's rejected by his foster family, the Egyptians, because he murders an Egyptian. And the Pharaoh can't let that stand. So he finds himself immediately disconnected, cut off from these two worlds that he's a part of. And now he has no world. He has no place where he belongs. All because he tried to do the right thing and maybe lost his cool, took it too far, broke the law, committed a sin. I wonder if he just, he, he just thought he could make a difference and yet he, he finds that he's making things worse in the process. So he runs to the desert. He flees to Midian. We don't, we don't know exactly where Midian was, where Moses went, but Midian is uh, somewhere in the Sinai Peninsula or what's now Saudi Arabia. 
A lot of that is wilderness area. A lot of it's very dry. And Moses runs to the wilderness, to the desert. Because that's what we do, isn't it? When we find ourselves isolated, disconnected, adrift, purposeless, we find ourselves in a, in a place that's barren and dry and where there's really nothing that's going to satisfy our thirst. But he finds a well and he sits down there. I think I can relate to Moses. I think there have been times when my, my intentions were good, but my heart was infected by pride, or insecurity, or anger, or fear, or just foolishness. And all of that stuff comes together and cross a line somewhere, lose my temper, say something I never should have said that I can't take back. And I, I think Moses and I were hearing some of the same voices in our heads. Who do you think you are? You thought you were somebody? Guess what? You're not. You thought you could make a difference? Guess what? You can't. You thought you could make things better for people? Guess what? You're making it worse. Who do you think you are? I've heard those voices. Have you? So this is Moses running from death, running from people who have rejected him, everything that he knows in life, and sitting down by a well. And it's significant that Moses sits down by a well. We're going to see that throughout Scripture, God uses this picture of water and, and wells to show us how he meets people and their desert situations. And I think this is what I want us to think about doing when we find ourselves in, in this desert place. We need to find a well and settle there. When it says Moses sat down by the well, that, that phrase could also be understood as he settled there by the well. He didn't just sit for a minute and then get up and leave. He just, he sort of camped out there because that's what you do when you find a well in the desert, right? You don't want to leave it. This is, this is life. This means life for people, animals, everything in a dry region. For nomadic people who led herds and flocks of you know, livestock throughout, if, if they're not near a stream or a, or a lake, man, a well is, is life-saving to their whole economy, right? And for somebody who's just wandering through and doesn't have a place to live, a place to be, a people to call his own, and that well means life. For a person running from rejection, insecurity, doubts, insignificance, needs a well. And so and we see this theme throughout Scripture. As we um, track along, when you, when you read through um, the narratives in the Bible, you should be looking for water in times when people interact with water. And what, what happens when people pass through water? One, one example, one early one, is the flood narrative. You remember, the whole world is going to be destroyed by a flood, but it's the water that actually preserves Noah and his family. And they're, and they're brought to a place of new life through the water. We see wells show up over and over again. Uh, beautiful passage in Genesis chapter 16 where uh, an Egyptian slave woman named Hagar goes to the desert to die. And God meets her at a well. Speaks new life into her. We see this in the New Testament when Jesus sits down at a well with a Samaritan woman 
who may be disconnected from her community. Maybe she's isolated. Maybe she's looking for a place to belong. And Jesus meets her there at the well, speaks new life into her. In John chapter 7, Jesus tells his disciples, you guys are going to become rivers of living water. People are going to come to you and find new life in your teaching, in your way of life, the life of the kingdom. Even in baptism, we see this transition, this transformation, this place where passing through the water brings new life. We got to experience that, celebrate that last week with Cohen. Moses sits down by a well because that's where God wants to meet him in his desert season. He had no idea what God had in store for him. He had no idea that this, this passion for justice and to see the salvation of his people, that God was gonna put him in charge of that someday. He had no idea. He just knows he's thirsty. And so he sits down by a well. You, you have no idea what God has in store for you, for your future. We make our plans, but... Life doesn't always go as planned. In fact, it's probably truer to say life always doesn't go as planned. We have no idea what God has in store for us. But when you're thirsty, you need to sit down by a well. So that's kind of an abstract thought. I want to talk about what that means for us because we have a tendency or a temptation to find our own wells when we get thirsty. Thirsty people will drink anything, right? I don't know if we actually know that because we're, we're in a situation where we're surrounded by stuff to drink all the time. We never have to face the reality that there's nothing to drink. When you're, when you're not thirsty, you can be really picky about what you drink, right? I, I am pretty picky. When I go to a restaurant, especially with my family, the server comes to the table, what's the first question they ask you? Can I get you something to drink? And my family responds with the question, do you have Dr. Pepper? I mean, that's this is how we answer that question every time. And if they don't, um, the servers always respond with a nonsensical answer. We have Mr. Pibb. I'm like, what has that got to do with my desire for Dr. Pepper? This is not the same thing. Mr. Pibb doesn't even have a degree. I, I'm not interested in that. We're so, we're so surrounded that, that we're not thirsty enough. We, we can be really picky. But if you're thirsty, you will drink anything. I bet I could be thirsty enough to drink Mr. Pibb, probably. I, I might could be thirsty enough to drink Pepsi. I don't know. That sounds desperate, but I, it could happen. <laughs> I mean, we know that there are stories of people traveling on the ocean, sailors or, who get thirsty enough that they'll drink salt water. What does that do to you? I mean, it'll kill you, right? Thirsty people will drink anything. And this is what we do. We get thirsty for acceptance. We get thirsty for belonging. We get thirsty for meaning and purpose. And we'll just drink anything. God addresses this, calls it idolatry, when he addresses it through Jeremiah, the prophet, in Jeremiah chapter two. Listen to how God talks about this idolatry of the people. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So even when we're thirsty, sometimes we look at what God has to offer and we say, no thanks. I don't need anybody telling me what to do, telling me how to live my life. I don't need guilt. I don't need obligation. 
I'm not even sure he cares. I'm not even sure he has my best interests in mind. We reject the spring of living water. We go looking for another way. Maybe it's if I can get enough people to like me on social media, to respect my thoughts or like my images or whatever I'm doing in my life, then that'll satisfy my thirst. Or maybe I just cover up all of my problems. I pretend like I don't have any. I hide all the dark things about me and just put on a mask in front of everyone. Maybe that will satisfy my thirst. Or even more tangible ways that we look to numb our pain or satisfy thirst through drugs, alcohol, pornography, all of these ways that we just try to distract ourselves from a thirst that won't go away. Broken cisterns that don't hold water. We've rejected the spring of living water. So when we go looking for a well, it needs to be the one that God has provided. But here's, here's a, another piece of that puzzle is we have to go and find it. Wells don't come and find you, do they? We got to go and find it. So uh, I just want to invite you to think about a few steps that you can take if you're in a desert season. And maybe you're not, let's just acknowledge, maybe you're in a great place in life. You feel very refreshed and, and you're good to go. Um, here's the reality that we all know. Uh, the desert's probably coming at some point. If it's not here now, it's probably down the road. So just file this away if you're in a good spot, or maybe you can use this to help a friend. But if you're in a desert season and we need to find a well, let's just think about some practical ways to do that. So the well that God provides, it could be a friend. It could be somebody that, that loves God and knows you and is willing to speak truth to you gently. Sometimes we're like, I, I'm not thirsty for truth. <laughs> I, I don't want you to tell me the truth. Tell me what I want to hear. But what do we need? I mean, Somebody just lies to us. That's salt water. We need truth, but we need it gently. We need it from people that love us, that know us well, that care about us, that are going to walk with us. Who's your friend? If you're in a desert season, who's the person you need to call? Who's going to speak truth to you gently? Text them right now. Set up a time. Get together. Sometimes God can use that friend to bring water to your thirsty soul. Sometimes it's a new spiritual practice. Sometimes you just get stuck. Have you ever felt stuck in your relationship with God? You're like, I don't know, it's okay, but I haven't really, I haven't really experienced anything new. I don't, think I, I don't think God is really speaking to me. I don't think he's, I don't, nothing's really changing. Maybe you need a new spiritual practice in your life. A couple ones that I hope are a part of, of your life, but if they're not, you should think about it. Um, you, need, you need some time in scripture. And not just on your own. You need to read scripture and study on your own, but you also need to study with other people. That's a way that God refreshes your soul. And you need to pray. You need to spend time just talking to God and listening to God. That's, that's prayer. That maybe if that's a new practice for you, I encourage you to do that. And we can, we can help you. We, we have a lot of ways to you know, guide you through that and give you some steps. But maybe it's a practice that, you, that would be new to you. Maybe it's, maybe it's silence. When was the last time you just experienced 15 minutes of silence. Your phone's not just on silent. It's in another room. There's no one around. And you're just alone with your thoughts. Sounds terrifying, doesn't it? It can be a way that God meets you there. Maybe it's solitude. Maybe you just need to get some time alone. And if you're a 
single parent, you're going, that's a thing? You can be alone? I've never heard of that. Maybe that's where your friend comes along and watches the kids for you. I don't know. There there are spiritual practices that um, are are not always readily available to our minds. So here's what I want to invite you to do. If if you think maybe a spiritual practice is a way for you to sit down by a well and be refreshed, and, and, and you're just kind of stuck, you don't know what to do, um, our, our pastoral staff, we're on the edge of our seats waiting for that email or phone call. If somebody called and said, hey, I would like to start a new spiritual practice, we would be like, yes, you know, that's exactly what we've been waiting for. We would love to help you do that. So feel free to reach out to us. We'll try not to uh, get too excited and overwhelm you. Maybe uh, the well that you need to sit at is a, is a service opportunity, a way to get outside of yourself for a minute and to think about other people and how you can help others. A way that you can use what God has given you um, towards a life-giving purpose. So maybe you need to think about like, what what can I do that can be a blessing to somebody else? And maybe I can find some refreshing purpose in that. What I'm convinced of is that if you're in a desert season, God wants to meet you at the well. God wants to provide a place for you to go to bring all of your insecurities, all of your doubts, all of your fears and meet you there, refresh you there and change you there. But we've got to look for the well. It doesn't come and find us. So I just want to invite you to think about what that looks like in your life. And again, if, if this is not where you are, what, if if you have a friend, somebody that you know and care about that from your perspective is in a desert season, maybe, maybe you can offer them some encouragement, some guidance, and some of these suggestions for them. Because here's, here's what we know, what we've been ta- we talked about for the last few weeks is that when we're not healthy, we can't really help other people. We often make things worse when we're not healthy. And when we're in a desert season, sometimes we just, we just need to sit and get healthy. We just need to be refreshed and restored. And we also need to be able to take this story to other people. That, hey, the desert happens. I mean, it happens. It happens to everybody. It's part of life. And we can embrace the reality of that, but we can enter it with hope that God will meet us there and that there is new life coming. There's new life, always just around the corner. So I just want to invite you as we close to pray through this with me. Would you go ahead and stand? We're going to pray together. If, if you are in a desert season, if you feel disconnected, if you're thirsty for something that you just haven't found a way to satisfy, then I, I just want you to pray, th- pray through what your step is. How do you go and find the well? where God is going to meet you. What does that look like for you? And if you're not, maybe you're praying for a friend, a loved one, somebody that you care about that needs to be refreshed and restored. They need to know that God is, is willing to meet them where they are and that there's hope for new life. So maybe that's a name that you bring before the Father this morning. Let's do this together. God, thank you so much for your consistent practice of meeting us in our thirst in our dry moments, in our seasons when we don't know where we belong, we don't know where to go, we certainly don't know what's next. Thank you for that mercy and grace that meets us there. 
My prayer this morning, Father, is that for those who are thirsty, they would find what they need in you. They would find in you a spring of living water. And as we think about people around us that we want to love well, we want to love them into the kingdom, God, we pray that maybe you could use us to be springs of living water for others. Well, they could find uh, refreshment through what you want to do for them, just through our friendship and love and kindness. Would you do that through us? God, we pray lives are changed and you get the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Um, You are sent to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Christ. God bless you.